Oh, probably not. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Well, the, the the good thing about that is that it's uh, it's just humor for humor's sake. It's not it's not uh, a mean spirited, uh, barbed, uh, uh, dripping hatred. Anyway, um, there you have it. Let's turn in our Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. Chapter 1, verse 19. And if you're visiting with us or you haven't been here in a while or whatever, um, we have been working through um, this gospel for the last, uh, I think this is our seventh, seventh week or so. We're going to move through the whole book together. So we're just uh, going to see what God has in store for us. And uh, if this connects with your souls, um, please know that it's the Holy Spirit working in your life, preparing you, aligning you with this truth today. So let's look at it together. Uh, the gospel of John, chapter 1, starting in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. And they said to him, Well, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I told you this story, I think, uh, uh, a number of years ago, quite a few years ago, but when I was in sixth grade, I grew up in Chicago area, and uh, when I grew up uh, up there, our church had partnered with, I think, three other churches, and on Friday night, they did this thing called Boys Club, and it met at a gymnasium, and it was nothing but sixth grade boys and, and dads. And uh, Boys Club was fun. It was fun. Even for me, it was fun. We did relay races and, and uh, uh, 50-yard dashes and all kinds of stuff in the gym, and it was just hot and crazy. And like I say, all sixth graders, um, everybody just going nuts in there. And it would end with a big, giant dodgeball tournament. I mean, you were talking, I'm talking about 100 people on one side and 100 people on the other side. It was 20 balls. It, was, it just went crazy. And um, so uh, it, it was just, it was fun. So we went every Friday night, um, loved it. Well, they had these, it was, like I say, it was in a school gymnasium, and they had these uh, fire alarms on the wall, and the fire alarms had a little thing that came out, a little, like, lever thing, and uh, I would always just love to play with that, and uh, I would show everybody how far you could pull that thing out without it being activated. I thought it was kind of cool. Everybody was, oh, I'm like, no, 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 trust me. I do this every week. Believe me. Just watch the show and enjoy it, and of course, one time, I went just a little too far, and that thing snapped like that, and it went crazy. And uh, so here I was. I was I'm, for the rest of my life, I'm one of those idiots who set a fire alarm off like an idiot. And so the, the fire, fire truck came, and the dudes came in, and it was all very scary and everything. And, uh, and uh, they come, and they shut it off, and they go, uh, who did this? And I'm telling you, 200 people went. <laughs> I mean, it was just all just 
completely just focused on me. There was no, my best friend wouldn't do it. He was going, no, him, him, him. He did it. Um, that was quite a feeling. I'll never forget there. Uh, um, well, friends, I start to say, I start with that to say this, and this is our main idea today. All of God's designated witnesses point to Jesus. I know that's kind of a twisting the story a little bit, but uh, all of, all of uh, God's designated witnesses point to Jesus. John the Baptist is a designated witness. The apostles are designated witnesses. The disciples are designated witnesses. Uh, The converts are designated witnesses. And guess what? So are you. You are a designated witness, and we all point to Jesus, the object of our faith, the source of our redemption. Um, You know, um, I I heard my wife say yesterday uh, to our dog, and she says this a a lot. Just Not a lot, not like hourly, but uh, every month or two, she'll say something like to our dog, she'll say, God made you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, our little, uh, you know, kiwi-brained uh, dog uh, is, you know, she doesn't understand what, uh, she does not know English. Um, and yet, in, in another sense, she does know it, I think. Uh, she doesn't know it. She doesn't think consciously. She doesn't think about all of her important appointments next Thursday and, and how her life's going to turn, turn out and everything, this dog of ours. Uh, and yet, in, in another way, she does know uh, because all of creation cries out for her maker. Um, here's some verses for you, Romans 18, 9. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation groans. How about this, Isaiah 24, 9? It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. How about Isaiah 55, 12? You shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. The trees of the field will clap their hands. I mean, mountains can't sing. Trees don't have hands. They can't clap. But you get the idea, don't you? That the mountains cry out, that, that the, 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 the trees of the field clap their hands. And um, here, here's what Jesus says. Um, which I uh, rather love. Um, uh, oh, wrong chapter. Here we go. Um, 38. Yeah, he, he, Jesus says, uh, oh, if only I'd put a bookmark right here. I did. If only I'd used my bookmark. Um, the, the phone is messing up my Bible drill skills. Um, Jesus says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of, or the people are shouting. Blessed is, uh, this is his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. You know, because they're worshiping him. They're calling him king. The king who comes in the name of the Lord. And the religious leadership is like, hey, 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 tell them to shut up. And Jesus says this, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would cry out. <laughs> I mean, all of creation uh, submits to in, and knows its creator in some sense. Um, and we who have eyes to see and ears to hear the specific truths of the gospel uh, can only but point to him in a specific uh, way. Uh, not just a general way where we feel awe over mountains and canyons and, and oceans and stuff, but in a specific way. We have been shown the, the life that is truly light, life, the, the dominion of light, we cannot but help point to the source of that, who is Jesus. All right, so that's our main idea. All of God's designated witnesses point to Jesus, us, and of course, um, a key redemptive figure, John the Baptist. All right, let's go to our first point. There's only three of them. Who are you? Look at verse 19. Uh, that, is a, that is a question that is asked. Um, 
verse 19, uh, it says, this is the testimony of John. The Jews uh, send priests uh, and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Now, you can see that the gospel of John at this point has shifted somewhat. Can't you see? At verse 19, between 18 and 19, there's a shift in the way the gospel uh, is presented, okay, in, in the way it's been, it's been written. Up until now, there's been a very um, lofty, um, before-time uh, focus on the divinity of Jesus Christ. Um, it, it's it's uh, compared to the Genesis account, the creation of life in Genesis, the creation of a new world in Genesis, and the, the first Adam in Genesis. And here you have the introduction of Jesus, the second Adam, new creation again, new life again. They start the same, Genesis 1, chapter 1, chapter one verse 1, in the beginning, uh, the Gospel of John, in the beginning. It's a very direct um, deliberate comparison um, of, of Jesus to God. And it, it goes on and on and on, that the word became flesh and dwelled among us. Um, it, it, it talks about um, uh, Jesus um, being the creator. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. He's the giver of life. It is a very explicit demonstration of Jesus' divinity. If you don't have a divine Jesus, if he's not the son of God, if he's merely created, if he's just a good guy or an elevated prophet, you do not have a savior. There is no gospel without a divine Jesus. And at the same time, he becomes flesh and dwells among us. So you have an actual humanity, not, um, not a sense of it, but taking upon himself real humanity and living a real human life. The God-man, fully God, fully man, living out a perfect life on this earth. All right, that's an essential to salvation. But what's so amazing here is you've got John the Baptist. And um, I told you before that he shows up in every gospel. John the Baptist is important in every gospel. John the Baptist is, an, is a key redemptive figure. And we, uh, we, we don't do well to forget that. Um, we, we pick up the scene. His ministry is already well in progress, all right? He's already famous. He's already got a, a ministry cooking, and the news of it filters up to religious leadership, so much so that they go, okay, what is going on out here? You got this kooky guy who dresses kind of weird like a prophet, um, and there's a real buzz about him, and, and all these Jews are going out there, and they're getting baptized by this guy, and it's, it's, uh, it's caused enough of a ruckus that they need to go check it out. So the, they, they send, uh, it says here that they sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem, to ask him, who are you? Well, um, as I told you, he's, he's a part of the, of the four Gospels, and he's got an office. Uh, John the Baptist, in a sense, has an office, and uh, his office was an important part of the commencement of Jesus' own ministry. So the question is, what was his office? And is that just a bunch of fancy talk? I mean, you read the Bible, and you're like, oh, don't bore me with all that uh, Fancy theology, an office. John the Baptist has an office. What does that even mean? Uh, it means this, friends. Um, ancient Israel, throughout her history, had prophets, many prophets, men and women, um, great and small, major and minor. Um, and, and by the way, the major and minor prophets uh, have nothing to do with what they said or like one was better than the other or more important than the other. It's, it's how much they wrote, okay, when we talk about major and minor prophets. But lots of prophets. And when God would send a prophet, they were the voice of the Lord in the presence of the people. That's a big thing. And it, it's something, by the way, as Christians, we, I, I take for granted. I take for granted. Um, I, I 
know that the scriptures tell me that I can approach the, the, the throne of God with uh, freedom and confidence, boldness. And uh, I forget that. I squander it. I just take for granted that I can close my eyes and pray, and there God is. Um, the Holy Spirit dwells in me, in us, we believers. Uh, but think what it would have been like before the presence of the Holy Spirit, before Pentecost in the Old Testament. Uh, God would send his prophet, and the voice of the Lord in the midst of the people um, was, uh, was the way he would guide them and instruct them and give his law and comfort them. In fact, the absence of that voice, I'm straying a little bit, but one of the saddest, uh, teariest uh, parts of the scriptures for me is when Saul um, experiences only silence from God. And Saul goes to the witch of Endor. This is King Saul. He goes to the witch of Endor. He goes to a witch. You know why? Because God is not speaking and he's not hearing the voice of God. That's desperate, man. That's desperate. So you can tell how important prophets were to the people Israel. They were the voice of the Lord in the midst of the people. Um, and so, um, John the Baptist is, um, is a prophet, and he's got an office, and he's the voice of the Lord in the midst of the people. What's so significant about it, though, is that there's been a 400-year gap. There's been a 400-year silence, the intertestamental period, um, in, the, in, the, in our English canon, Malachi is the last book. Malachi uh, speaks of this Elijah figure that's going to come before this, this Savior figure comes. And there's a 400-year absence. And that's why these people, are, these uh, religious leadership are saying, are you Elijah? Because in, in Malachi, um, it, it, um, it says that, um, that there's going to be this Elijah figure coming. And uh, so, friends, they were always waiting, uh, eagerly hoping for this Messiah figure, for some kind of word, for some kind of uh, prophet to come because there was this Elijah figure who was going to show back up again. And so for 400 years, generation after generation after generation, they're waiting. They're waiting for this figure to come. And they go, who's this weird guy out in the desert? This could be big. This could be big. And so they go to John. Now, let's go to the text itself here. In verse 19, it says, and this is the testimony of John. Um. Most Bible translations use that word, the testimony of John, like the ESV that I've got here, okay? Um, others will say this is the witness of John, the witness of John. Um, fewer others will say this is the record of John, okay? You've got the, the, um, the testimony, the witness, the record. Um, do those terms kind of fit into a modern scenario that you could think of? A courtroom. Isn't it true? Um, um, testimony. You get up there and you're going to testify. Um, you are a witness. You get on the witness stand. Um, uh, bailiff, strike that from the record. Uh, those are courtroom words. In fact, um, uh, you know, eye, eyewitnesses, what do they do? They, they tell what they've seen and heard. In fact, verse 20, it says, um, he confessed. Well, that's, that's more courtroom talk. He confessed. He, he told what happened. He confessed. Oh, and by the way, oh, I'll save it. I'll save it in a minute. But... Uh, um, Remember, we saw this last time. John bore witness. He cried out. Okay, these are these are these are legal terms that that, that John is declaring uh, who Jesus is. And so now we know what the apostle John is doing as he's writing about John the Baptist. The apostle John's writing about John the Baptist, and he's saying, "Here's this prophet figure that's preceding the savior figure who's been awaited." So this is not just uh, an interesting uh, story. It's not just um, cataloging some stuff. Um, but it's something set apart as extremely redemptively important. Um, 
And that's why this delegation of priests and Levites come. Uh, they're, they're thinking, oh, let's get to the bottom of this thing. Uh, he, is, he, is declaring, um, he is declaring big things. But, but now to their question, who are you? Well, that is the big question, isn't it? Uh, we, can, we can apply it to our lives this way. That's the big question. They say, hey, John the Baptist, who are you? Um, you know, I don't know about you, but <clears throat> the, the, the more I observe life, uh, the more I start going, uh, is that guy lying to me or is he telling me the truth? Is that guy lying to me or is he telling me the truth? Is that real or fake? 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 Don't you do that? Um, from stuff that comes into your inbox to things politicians say to uh, commercials, um, you go, okay, is this real or fake? Is this real or fake? Is it, do, this, do these pans, do the eggs really slide right out of these pans? I mean, no oil whatsoever. Can you really melt a cup on this pan? Is it real or fake? Don't you ask those questions all the time? Well, um, John confessed, and he confessed. Look at verse 20. I love this. Look at, look at how kind of awkwardly this is worded. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Uh, I have it on good authority uh, from uh, quite a few gospel uh, uh, commentaries that I've read on this, that that's a hard sentence to translate. And it, it's, it's awkward. It, it comes into the English language awkwardly. He confessed and did not deny, deny but confessed. You have, you have that double in there. The reason they do that is that he is so emphatically saying, it's not me. He is so emphatically saying, it's Jesus. I'm pointing to the one who's going to come. Not me. Don't get your hopes up uh, in me. But I'm pointing to the one who's to come. <coughs> and, uh, and so they're like, okay. So they give him a series of questions. They say, are you Elijah? And I told you the reason they asked that is uh, in, in Malachi well, let me just flip there real quick. Uh, I think I marked it. Yeah. In Malachi, it says, remember the law of my servant Moses, statues and rules I commanded him, and so on for all Israel. And it ends with this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And, he will, and there's another sentence, and then that's it. 400 years of silence. And so they say, are you him? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, uh-uh, I'm not him. And they go, oh, okay, wow, okay, well, that, that's the biggie. I mean, that's the biggie, the Elijah figure we've all been waiting for. Uh, uh, gener- after, generation after generation, century after century. Uh, so, okay, they say, well, how about this? Are you the prophet? And notice they say the prophet. They don't say, are you a prophet? They say, are you the prophet? You know who they're talking about? Moses. Are you the biggie? If you're not Elijah... Are you Moses? Are you Moses come back? And God's going to use you to, uh, to uh, deliver the people. And uh, no, 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 I'm not that. I'm not that. Um, and so the re- re- religious leadership is basically asking, uh, are you reincarnated? <laughs> are, you, are you Elijah come back to life? Are you Moses come back to life? Who are you, this strange figure? Um, well, here, here's the application. Jesus is both. He's, uh, he's the final prophet, the one we've been waiting for. And uh, he, he's the final deliverer. You know, Moses led people on an exodus out of captivity into a land of promise. Well, there's no greater biblical portrait than that 
of a Jesus who comes and delivers his people from captivity and slavery into a land of hope and promise. Uh, it's, it's Jesus, the, the, the one who's, who's accomplishing all this. And so that's John the Baptist's message. I'm just the guy who's the forerunner. We'll talk about that more in a second. I'm the one who's, uh, who's making the path straight and uh, everything about my ministry, everything about my life, points to the Savior, points to the Savior, points to the Savior. And that's an application you can make for your own life. Everything about us is supposed to point to the Savior. We don't just give money blindly. By the way, you know, when there's a flood or something like that, and we give, our church gives money, there's a tsunami, there's a need, we don't just throw money in a big pot. Somehow we communicate, this is from people who love Jesus, and this is the love of Christ being extended to you. And uh, that's, that's the way our lives are supposed to be lived. We're supposed to be looking for a gospel opportunity, not just to be nice people. It's good to be nice. But, but opening a path for a gospel opportunity. Sometimes it comes, sometimes it doesn't come. Sometimes you talk to a person and you can't really share the gospel with them uh, for years. But if a gospel opportunity comes and uh, a hurt is expressed or um, there's an opportunity to pray for somebody, or you see a need and you can meet that need and, and share the love of Christ with them, that's, that's, that's our mode of operation, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we're to be the ones who point to the Savior emphatically. Uh, it's him. All right, our next point. The voice in the wilderness. Um, look at verse 22. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And so the, 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 the answer um, John the Baptist gives is to quote Isaiah 40, verse 3. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus says this of his own ministry. Listen to this. Um, yeah, this is Luke 4. This is... Uh, Jesus, uh, you don't have to turn, but Jesus comes to Nazareth, and uh, he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath, um, and um, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So they're like, here you go, Jesus, here's the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And so he opens it up, and he found the place where it was written. So he just didn't do, you know, like what you do when you're, you know, he just didn't do this. Oh, yeah, I'm going to read that today. He didn't do that. He, uh, he, he opened to a specific place, and he specifically read something, and it's this. Uh, from, from Isaiah, he says, um, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, you know, getting, getting us out of slavery, and recovering the recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And uh, he rolls up the scroll. He sits down. Uh, and the eyes in the synagogue were fixed on him. Everybody's staring at Jesus. So he reads this passage from Isaiah. They, they hand him a scroll. He reads a passage from Isaiah, and everybody's looking at him. Um, and he says to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Is that not something? It's one of the shortest sermons ever preached. He opens it up. He opens up the Old Testament. He opens up Isaiah. And he says, hey, Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, uh, proclaim liberty, uh, give sight, set prisoners free, pro- proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And uh, they all stare at him, and he goes, me. Is that awesome? Um, and, you know, by the way, John the Baptist's uh, uh, sermon is also pretty short. Um, 
Yeah, in, in verse 29 of our text, uh, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's a pretty short sermon too, isn't it? Uh, pr- pretty cool in John chapter, John chapter 1. All right, application for you. Uh, John the Baptist was in the business of building the king's highway. Every valley, mountain will be, valley will be exalted. Oh. Anybody know that uh, song? No? Okay, well, um, it's a fancy song, you know. Um, every valley will be exalted, every hill brought low, and basically it's fill in the lakes and, and shave down the mountains and cut through the rock and make the king's highway. Um, speaking of presidents and respect and all that stuff, um, I saw Gerald Ford um, in his limo one time in Washington, D.C., drive by. I ever tell you that, honey? I saw Gerald Ford. I was like, wow, there's Gerald Ford. Um, and uh, guess who else I saw? Downtown, at, out, out, across the street at the Peabody, Al Gore. Now, let me tell you, I didn't vote for Al Gore. But you know what? When I saw the vice president across the street, it was like from here to the back of that wall. I was like, <laughs> Al Gore, hey, Al Gore, Tennessee, Al Gore. You know, I didn't vote for him. I didn't even like him. But I was pretty darn excited about it because <laughs> he's the vice president. Those are the two most like, important people I've ever been like, right near, Gerald Ford and Al Gore. Exciting. Well, you know, have you read about uh, the airspace in southern Florida that all these little uh, Harrison Ford-type people are, are putt-putting through on their planes? And uh, the next thing you know, there's a fighter jet on their wing going, get out of the airspace. They're like, what? You know? That you can't go down to the, the, white, the, the uh, Winter White House anymore and fly over that airspace. Why? Because the King's Highway's been made. Anytime they go somewhere, Secret Service has to clear all the buildings and make the King's Highway. They have to prepare the way. They have to make sure it's safe. They have to remove all the barriers and so on. And friends, that's what John the Baptist is doing, preparing the King's Highway. And guess what the application is? That's you and me too. Preparing the King's Highway. Um, why should you not be a jerky driver riding up on somebody's tail and, and uh, somebody cuts you off and you give them the old, <clears throat> or uh, you're at a, you're at a, a turn light, you're trying to turn left and the person got kind of stuck out from the light, you know how that happens, they get a little too far out and you're, you have to kind of swing out and you, you shoot them a, <clears throat> well, guess what? You know why I can't do it? I might show up here. Oh, there's that fat idiot who shot me a dirty look. Um, but guess what? None of us can do that. Uh, our, our behavior in the world around us changes. Uh, we listen to people who are hard to listen to. Uh, when people are slow in front of us, we be gracious with them. Uh, when we're in the position of strength, we show mercy to those who are not in a position of strength. Why? Well, because we're, we're paving the king's highway. We, we don't want to be a, an offense uh, personally, we want the gospel to be an offense. And uh, as I've said to quite a few people, who, uh, it's, it's the, this, there's a category of Christian who is always like, I'm persecuted. You, ever, you know any of these folks? Um, persecuted again. I've been persecuted for my faith again. And, uh, and uh, well, you know, well, there's a fine line between uh, being persecuted and just being a jerk. You know, being a jerk and having people uh, mistreat you isn't the same thing as being persecuted because of righteousness and paving the king's highway. All I'm saying to you is all of our activities have to be altered because we are paving the king's highway and uh, we want to make it flat so that the gospel can go out to a world that is full of hurt and, and needs deliverance from captivity. All right, our last point. 
By whose authority? Um, verse 24, uh, let's look at it. Um, they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked John the Baptist, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet that would be Moses? The real question they're asking is by whose authority are you doing all this? Here you are, you've set up this ministry. All these people are coming to you. You're the strange fellow. You're preaching a baptism of repentance. You have disciples, disciples, like Jesus had disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. In fact, John's, some of John's disciples left John to go follow Jesus. Yay, would say John the Baptist. Good, yeah, do leave me. Go follow Jesus. Why are you doing this? By whose authority are you doing this? Now, here's another question. There's another underlying question here. When they say, why are you baptizing if you're not Christ, Elijah the prophet? Um, there's another underlying question. You know what it is? Why are you baptizing Jewish people? Um, you know, during the intertestamental period, what you don't see, what you don't know, is that baptism, um, either pouring water on oneself is a ritual cleansing, which is really how it was done, or being dunked by somebody, uh, this ritual purification cleansing was a, a norm that was put in place for Gentile converts to Judaism. So if somebody said, you know what, I want to follow Yahweh, Israel's God, they would say, great, let's, let's baptize you and do this ritual purification of your sin. But Jews didn't do that. They're already Abraham's children. Uh, they didn't do that. And, but, but Jews are going out to John the Baptist, and he's preaching a message of repentance, saying, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, you're guilty, you've sinned, you've sinned, you've sinned, you need cleansing, you need cleansing, you need cleansing. And the message is being preached to Jews. And they're like, yo, 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 dude, by whose authority... And why the covenantal people? What is going on here? Well, um, uh, you know, we hear the, the, the term disciples all the time, and uh, we think, oh, yeah, followers of Jesus and so on. Well, John answers them. He says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who, who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal uh, I am not worthy to untie. And when he says, when I baptize with water, all he's saying is, all I'm doing is I got the symbol. All I've got the thing is the symbol that points to the reality. I'm, it's just water. It's not just water. It's not actually purifying us from sin. It's a symbol, but it points to this greater reality. That's what John the Baptist is saying. Um, and uh, it, this is so cool, too. He goes, uh, verse 27, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. We see that, and we go, it's weird to us. It's weird to us, right? Untie a sandal, okay. We think, oh, yeah, dusty old uh, ancient Palestine and uh, dirty feet and feet were icky and stinky and, and all that. And there's plenty of people who write about that. In fact, there's some outlandish, I don't want to keep it too long. There's some outlandish stuff that people have written about, you know, how the donkey poops in the road and uh, the sandals get messy and blah, blah, blah. It's like, look, here's the, here's the, the, the gist behind this sandal untying thing. Um, John had disciples, rabbis had disciples, Jesus had disciples, and the disciples were basically the servants of the rabbi, all right? Which sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? Um, and think, even Jesus said, you know, go, go make preparations in the upper room. He sent his disciples to go on and do things for him, and that's what rabbis had. They had disciples who would basically cater to their needs, get their groceries, uh, clean the house. It was just a great, it was like having an, an, a free intern, all right? So you got these disciples. But you know, the difference between a disciple 
a bondservant, right? A disciple who, who, was, who was, you know, under the, the rabbi and did all the stuff for him. The difference between a disciple and a slave was a dividing line. Feet. Uh, the disciple was never required to take off the sandals. That was, that was too menial, too low. Uh, a slave was, that was, that was for a slave. And, um, but basically what John the Baptist is saying is, I'm lower than a slave. It ain't me. It ain't me. It ain't me. It ain't me. I'm pointing to the one, the real one. The sign points to the real one. My ministry points to the real one. And I'm telling you, I am lower. Don't think of me even as a disciple. Think of me as lower than a slave. I'm not even worthy to unstrap the sandal. I'm not as worthy as the lowest uh, person in society that you can think of is John's point. And uh, that, that, that's, a, that's a difference between a bondservant and a helpless, shackled uh, soul. Uh, now, let's close up by saying this. Um, back to Boys Club. Um, I hadn't thought about this in so long, but um, in one of the Boys Clubs, um, it ended with the, the typical dodgeball game, the big dodgeball game. 100 guys on each side, uh, 10 balls a side, and we are flinging these things. And um, I'll tell you what I was not good at was throwing the ball or catching the ball. Um, but what I was good at was diving out of the way of the ball. And uh, so I was real fast. I know that's hard to believe. I was real limber, and, but I could dive out of the way, and I was real squiggly, and the ball would come, and I could just, I could just whoop, you know, dive out of the way of the ball. And uh, so on this particular dodgeball game, we whittled it down. You know, these coaches were like, you're out, you're out. And they would whittle it all down. And it ended up where it was me and this other kid. And the other kid was like a sixth grader on steroids. He was already mean, had a full beard, you know. <laughs> and he was just, he was like one of these aggressive, just, it was just, it was terrifying, terrifying. And so there's me and there's him. And, you know, I, the, the line's about there and I'm back here. We're in this gymnasium. And uh, I take the ball and I go... And, of course, you know, down it goes and, you know, hits seven times and rolls to his feet. And he picks up, and he looks at me and he goes, and just had this just scary, just power, and he whips it at me. And I'm sixth, sixth grade, skinny, knobby knees, and I, I, just, I just went. And it hit me, and I bobbled it a little bit, and I grabbed it. I caught it. He was out. And the place erupted. And, uh, and I, I almost wish it never happened to me because I know I'll never experience that again. Uh, but, friends, I was the only one. I was the only one left. And by my act, the whole team cheered. By my act, the whole team won. And uh, that's my other illustration about Boys Club is uh, there, there's, there's one Savior, and we're all pointing at him, and uh, he's the one who did the delivering, and everybody benefits as a result. It all comes down to just one. Here's, here's God's word, friends. First Timothy 2.5. There is one God. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. That's the ESV. Listen to the New Living Translation. I rather like it. There is only one God and one mediator, who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ. And here's the last one. Um, there is one God. There is also one mediator between God and human beings, a human, 
the Messiah, Christ. Uh, it's the perfect God-man, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and, and our lives are to be like John the Baptist's life. Um, we're to be pointing to the one who has the answers people need. We're to be pointing to the real one. We're to be pointing to the real source of deliverance. We're to be pointing to the real source of comfort and joy and meaning in this life. Let us pray. Righteous Father, um, once again, we come to you um, humbled before your word, uh, a joyful place to be, uh, a convicting place to be. Um, We pray that you would examine our lives, that you would um, woo us unto yourself, that, um, that we would not default to the rocks crying out, but that we would be the ones who have the words of life and are dynamically engaging in this world saying, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. For we pray in his name. Amen. Thanks, y'all.